Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, June 15th, 2020. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, let's talk about retheming Splash Mountain. <laughs> let's get started by bringing in the man who says that every Olympic event should include one average person just for reference. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Have you ever seen Louis Anderson's first appearance on The Tonight Show? Yes, yes. The Olympics happened in L.A. that summer. He makes some some wonderful jokes to the effect of, you know, yeah, I was, I was part of the Summer Olympics. And pole vault nailed that thing right in the ground. And I fixed those uneven parallel bars for you. And <laughs> the final joke is just broad jump killed her. Oh, Not politically correct, of course, but it was a, it was a I, uh, different time. So. I like to watch the uh, figure skating. And from the moment that the music begins, I like to state out loud how much of that routine to that point I could have done. Like when they start, you know, and they're just basically raising their arms dramatically. I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And then as soon as they start to skate backward, I'm like, no, I'm out. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I can do this. I can do this. Okay, I can't do that. I'm like, the thing is, you're sitting there and watching somebody skate backwards, then jump in the air and spin. And they land, and you watch all of these skating enthusiasts like, oh. And it's like, what do you mean? Oh, she landed. And it's like, no, she flutzed. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't notice her. Her leg was supposed to be at a 45-degree uh, angle, but it was like 38. So, oh, That's exactly. heartbreak, heartbreak. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, basically, yeah, if you can – you can skate backwards and jump up and down on the ice. That's that's witchcraft. Let's call it what it is, Jim. There we go. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Jim, eight weeks in a row with a record number of Bandcamp subscribers. Folks, I've got at least four, four DVC reservations that start as soon as we're allowed back in the hotels and parks. So just in a couple of weeks, you'll start hearing Bandcamp exclusive shows about what it's like to be back in Walt Disney World. Thanks to new subscribers, M. Avia, Jeanette, David S., and my friend Riley Williamson. Man, how you been? Get in touch. And also thanks to longtime subscribers Jane, C. Burns, and Thomas S. Jim, these are the folks who actually flew the Millennium Falcon into position outside Smuggler's Run at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And they still fly it when it has to be moved for things like paving, maintenance, or, you know, when alternate side street parking rules are in effect. True story. <laughs> <laughs> it is on the area formerly known as Streets of, Streets of America. And there are parking regulations, just like, you know. I learned so much on this show. And that's got to be one of those signs in Arabesh in Black Spire Outpost. You know, <laughs> Clearly. Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> Tuesdays and Thursdays. Move your cars to the other side. Exactly. You know, I think Reedy oh, Creek really needs to get on that and, and, and rescind those restrictions for the land that is now uh, Galaxy's Edge. But, yeah, you know, it's a government. They overlook things. I totally agree. All right, Jim. More reopening news. The big one, of course, Disneyland. Downtown Disney uh, District opens July 9th. The parks open July 17th, which I believe is what, the 65th, 6th? 65th. 65th birthday of the park. Woohoo! And then the hotels, the uh, Grand Californian and Paradise Pier open July 23rd. Jim, no word on the Disneyland Hotel, though. What I've initially hearing is remember, they are building that fourth tower. Oh, And especially during this period where they're not sure what actual guest demand there will be for the resort, 
They're kind of using that as their get-out-of-jail-free card to the effect of, oh, keeping that out of the inventory because we're in a, a crucial point of the construction. But I know in World, there's talk of consolidating existing hotel reservations into the hotels that will be open. Is that what's going to happen in Disneyland as well? If you had a reservation for the Disneyland Hotel uh, on July 23rd or after, uh, and it's not open, that you'll be schlepped over to the, not schlepped, because I mean the Grand, but moved over to Grand California under Paradise Pier? If you had a reservation at the Disneyland Hotel and you're upgraded to the Grand California, you're a happy guy. Exactly. Okay? On the other hand, if you, you end up at Paradise Pier, which is now a little bit more of a hike, and I don't know as you're necessarily going to be quite as happy a person. Right. I don't know that Disney would do that without some sort of other compensation. I mean, yeah, Disneyland mm -hmm. Hotel, the Grand Californian, sign me up. I, mm -hmm. I'm on board. Disneyland Hotel, Paradise Pier, I am not on board. So, yeah, they'd have to deal with that. And we have actually some, yeah. some interesting listener questions coming up on topics exactly like this. So, I guess the elevators for the Paradise Pier are notoriously slow. And when you, you factor in, obviously, the social distancing and the limited capacity of elevators, that could be an issue. <laughs> so speaking of this, when, uh, so I've been in Florida for a while now, but when I was in New York during the lockdown – there are two elevators in our in our apartment, and one group goes in each elevator. And it got to the point where I gave up on taking the elevator, and my apartment turned into a 10th floor walk-up. But I, I have to say, Jim, my cardio is actually pretty good coming out of this whole thing. I was about to say, you know, they turned a negative into a positive, and yeah. oh my God, look at those thighs. Wow. Okay, <laughs> so... Let me see. You got to look for the good and everything. So that was that. Uh, also in uh, in Walt Disney World this coming Wednesday, so June seventeenth, mm -hmm. Chef Art Smith's Homecoming reopens. Uh, July first, we have the opening of the Hilton Bonnet Creek, uh, the Waldorf mm -hmm. Astoria, and the Four Seasons Resort Orlando. And then July 29th, so a little bit more than was it seven weeks from now. The Swan and the Dolphin. Jim, why are the Swan and the Dolphin opening so late? It's because of what's going on with convention business. Major League Soccer is a convention, Jim. Yes. Uh, so ah, okay. they're using the resort as a base for the restart of the Major League Soccer season. Uh, I believe that begins in nine days on the 24th when, uh, when teams come in. They play for roughly a month and then they do, uh, I think they'll be... The playoffs will, will happen, and then once the playoffs start, there's only like four teams left. No, quarters are eight teams. Then semifinals will be four teams, and then the finals will be two teams. So by that point, by the time that they get deep into the playoffs, there'll only be a few teams left, so that's not going to take up the entire resort. And then so the, the Dolphin has availability from July 29th, and then it looks like the teams will be staying at the Swan because the Swan, you can start booking rooms uh, around the second week of August. Okay, uh, before we step away from the convention business thing, uh, there's the Star Wars Celebration event that's going to be happening in August, uh, I want to say the 27th through the 30th, and one of the components of that supposedly is the Disneyland After Dark, the Star Wars Night hard ticket event. There's been a lot of people concerned because Comic-Con has been canceled and just yesterday, Coachella for the entire year. I saw, yeah. Yeah, that got canceled. So there's a number of people, okay, so what's the deal with Star Wars Celebration? Is that going to get shut down as well? And it's like, uh, went to the uh, Anaheim Convention Center site mm -hmm. and they actually still have events booked. In fact, they start up again 
actually on July 17th. And there's at least two and three events. The spring Orange County Home and Garden Show is, uh, I want to say, August 1st and 2nd. And BabyCon, Land BabyCon is happening. I'm a little concerned that BabyCon happens in public. <laughs> do you do you go to, I mean, do you... It, it, <laughs> It's like when in, uh, it's, it, when people say, you know, uh, vegetarian fed beef, like where are you getting these vegetarians to feed these cows? I, uh, I, <laughs> you're very literal, Len. Has anyone <laughs> talked to you about this? No, I know. Again, for me, it's hard to read the tea leaves because it looks like, you know, like Anaheim Conventions that is actually going to be up and running. And, and yet, if you Googled Star Wars night at, at Disneyland, you get sent immediately to the Disneyland phased opening page. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. We were talking Major League uh, Soccer there. Yeah. So, so soccer is uh, soccer. It will be at the Swan and Dolphin, and uh, we've already talked about the NBA coming back to Disney World. Jim, I I was talking to somebody in celebration a couple of days ago at a socially mm-hmm. acceptable distance uh, apart, mm-hmm. and I said, if we get through the NBA and MLS playoffs, and we are all not completely exhausted about hearing how great the Walt Disney World Resort is this summer. Disney will have failed. Like, I fully expect <laughs> the, to see the Fabulous Five be the cheerleaders at every at every event. Like, if we are not completely sick of hearing about Wide World of Sports uh, two months from now, Jim, it will be an opportunity lost. Like, I cannot wait <laughs> for it. I'll be like, yeah, Wide World of Sports. We should go there. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to go into the parks. That's a that's a big question. I expect they will only only because it won't be uh it will be it'll be hard to avoid it. I uh, no no I get that I get that but at the same time daily COVID daily testing tests, yeah yeah you know all those extra magic hours that yeah. we're not getting yeah I would imagine there's a lot of NBA players are going to oh. go. Oh, I didn't think of that, Jim. Yeah. Are we, are we so. All right. I don't know if we're allowed to say that on uh, on the show, but let's let's run with it and see what happens. Yeah. Okay. By the way, speaking, Jim, of um, of Florida and restrictions, uh, I was doing some poking around the governor's website for Florida, mm-hmm. and right now there's a executive order in place that says mm-hmm. if you come from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, which are by the way huge markets for Walt Disney World and tourism to Florida in general, if you come from any of those states, uh, you've got to self quarantine for 14 days uh, once you get to Florida. That executive order will expire automatically on July 8th or 9th. I haven't uh, I haven't done the exact math on the days, it'll expire automatically July 8th or 9th, uh, unless it is specifically extended through another executive order by the governor. So if the question is, you know, can we get to the parks when they open July 11th or uh, and July 15th, if we're coming from New York, uh, right now, the answer is a qualified yes. You won't have to quarantine. Did you see what uh, a, a, this was shared to us by Dustin Harder on, on, Twitter, I, you bring up the quarantine issue. Mm-hmm. This is what he tweeted out. It said, so my wife's job told mm-hmm. the staff today that if they go to a theme park, they would have to then self-isolate for 14 days. And the question here is, how many other employers are doing this, I wonder? And then, of course, the ripple effect to what that means to the Disneys and the Universals of the world, or, or the Six Flags for that matter. So it's a it's a it's an employer who's not in the theme park industry who's saying if you go to a theme park, mm-hmm. you must then self quarantine for fourteen days before coming back into the office. Yeah. Huh. What about like Vegas? Have you seen the videos coming out of Vegas? <laughs> yes, Wayne's looking great. <laughs> 
for those of, for our listeners who haven't seen it, there are videos going around showing the opening of Las Vegas in mm-hmm. uh, in hotels like the Cosmopolitan, where for most of the video, it looks like pre-lockdown Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. A lot of people not wearing masks, very, very close together. I, I mean, it looks like regular Vegas with a few masks is mm-hmm. what it looked like to me. And that was the, uh, there's there's some consternation going on, including me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little worried ab- mm-hmm. about that. That looked to be a little too much no mask wearing, too close together for comfort, but we'll know in, you know, 10 days. We will. We will. 10 days or two weeks. So Yeah. I, I just don't know how, I mean, number one, you're you're ethically obligated to, to say that um, if, if, the, if the policy is in place by your provider, you're ethically obligated to follow it, right? I mean, you've got to, you've got yeah. to do that. It'll be interesting to, to see where they draw the line on that. Like if a theme park is obviously a gathering of many thousands of people, but what's the low end of that number? Is it 50? Is it a hundred? Is it a thousand? Like what if you went to the beach? Mm-hmm. Would you have to, would you have, I don't know. But mm. I understand the intent of the, uh, of the policy there. So can't, can't fault no. that. Speaking of policies, Jim, there's a survey out, a new survey out from Walt Disney World. It went out, so we're recording this on Thursday the 11th. It came out Wednesday the 10th and it's uh, around the new processes and procedures that Walt Disney World is putting in place to deal with the COVID pandemic. So let me, let's go through these questions and I want to get your thoughts on number one, what's the intent behind the question and two, what uh, Disney's looking for. All right. Okay. All right. So the first question is this, the Walt Disney World Resort will be adopting new processes and procedures as it reopens prior to taking the survey, which of the following, if any, were you aware would be in place in Walt Disney World? So it's things like safety and health protocols, including temperature screenings, hand, more hand-washing stations, limiting the number of people in the park, screening employees the same way, physical distancing, and then requiring masks. Also, um, digital experiences, uh, signing up for virtual queues, uh, advanced digital reservations required to enter the theme parks, online check-in for the resorts, and then use of mobile order service and pay for food. Also, the things about experiences, right? So no parades, things like that. So what are they, what are they going for here with, uh, with this? This survey was actually sent to Walt Disney World annual pass holders. And I, I can't help but think that this is kind of a canary in the coal mine situation. Annual pass holders are supposedly the most passionate theme park fans, uh, that they should be the most connected to what the resort is up to at that time. And if if these folks aren't aware of you know what they'll be encountering when they go back into the parks in mid-July or, or thereabouts, or excuse me, June, it's one of those things where it's like, wow, we really need to move on our PR campaign. Because if right. the annual okay. pass holders don't know, what are the chances that the general public is yeah. going to know about this? It's basically an order of magnitude drop-off between AP holders and the general public on a variety of things, including this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, mm-hmm. that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the next question was, given the above assumptions around you know new procedures and things like that, how committed are you to your currently planned Walt Disney World hotel booking for fill-in-the-blank month? And the answers are uh, fully committed, uh, we're definitely keeping our reservation somewhat committed, not very committed, uh, and then not at all committed. We plan on canceling. Going to the parks starting when when all these new processes and procedures are in place, it's going to be challenging. And in fact, I'm, I'm sure you've seen, uh, well, hell, you've had Seth in the Universal Parks. Yep. And it's been fascinating to watch people comment on having to be in the parks with masks. And that some people, it's like, no big deal. And other people, it's, you know, it's torture. 
going forward here? It's just with all these terms and conditions in place, is this a deal breaker? No parades, no no fireworks, you know, yep. no meet and greets or dining experiences. You know, and especially considering, again, annual pass holders who, you know, go to the parks at a drop of a hat. All right, so that's what they're going for there. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. And then the next question was, um, what primary method of transportation are you currently planning to use to get from your home to the Walt Disney World Resort Hotel? I plan to drive, I plan to fly, or other. Mm-hmm. So train, boat. It's linked to the next question, which is um, around how likely you are to use the Walt Disney World bus transportation to and from your resort hotel and the theme parks at Disney Springs. And then assuming that the buses have limited capacity. Okay, so fair enough. So this is the transportation section of the uh, of, of the survey. And I don't know if you saw the New York Times did a story, I want to say yesterday or Tuesday, where they talked about for the medical professionals who were in the middle of COVID that it used to be their commute was the, the most terrible part of the job. And now it's like, I get to decompress. I'm in my car. I'm alone. Yeah. I'm safe from infectious people. And the concern here at Disney is that what if a lot of people opt instead of flying, because flying looks scary, to drive down to Disney? And conversely, if the, you know, the same concerns about, geez, do I want to go on the bus? I don't know who I'm exposing myself. Let me drive my car over to the parks or Disney Springs. Yep. Think about what that means to a traffic on you know the roadways of, of Walt Disney World or oh right yeah 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 and what that means also to the parking lots which are huge but they're not necessarily going to accommodate everybody who decides of I'm afraid to get on a bus so I'm going to drive over to the parks well let's let's say too you decide to drive to the Magic Kingdom you're parking at the TTC yeah. and now your choices are ferry or monorail which are both at reduced capacity so if you've got more people arriving but less capacity, you've created a bottleneck or a bottleneck has been created. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, the next question, has your household been financially impacted since you made or modified your current reservation for the Walt Disney World Resort? And the answers are yes, in a positive way. So I guess if you're in healthcare, things are great. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're pay- being paid hourly in healthcare, that is. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, in a negative way or no. With this one, I mean, remember, we were just talking about the, the, the Disneyland survey, which basically asked the exact same question of annual pass holders. And, you know, again, largely this is about trying to gauge what impact, if any, face it, the United States just this week entered into recession. Right. And, you know, the whole notion of, okay, so what impact is this going to have on guest spending at the parks? Have you seen the revenue streams that are being shut down at the parks now? Oh, yeah. I mean, tons of things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, sit-down yeah. dining, obviously, super impacted. But what else? Well, we've got things like, you know, the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutiques, which were this huge moneymaker for the company. Oh, right. Incidental, but still a steady money stream. Things like arcades, the additional hard tickets for things like fireworks voyages or tasting oh, cruises. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you don't even really think about it, but like the Wonderland Tea at Park Fair, which- Which is a you know, great again, tea, actually. It is. Oh, also the, um, speaking of the Grand Floridian, uh, the spas mm-hmm. were shut down too, right? Yeah, yeah. Likewise, the the salons and the other thing that got impacted is is for example pin trading. You know, that they'll still be doing pin trading, but no cast members will be wearing lanyards because again they we want to respect social distancing. So there'll be boards set out in the park. Likewise, if you think about you know how they used to do new product launches, what is the name of that? 
thing in Disney Springs where they do all of the Disney theme product. Oh, uh, trendy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, likewise, the art of Disney. Right. Author signings have gone away, or, sure. or artist signings. And then just things that actually made it easier for people to shop, so they they kind of do it mindlessly, like the package delivery to the front of the park, uh, or you know, back to the hotels. It, it suspended, Len. Oh, that, okay. That that that's going to cut into some revenue if you got because no one's going to buy stuff you have to carry around. Yeah, yeah, and and then even things like the free entertainment opportunities that help make people feel like they were getting their money worth from their Walt Disney World vacations, you right. know, things like the campfire at Fort Wilderness or the electric water bed. All right, so this was uh, the one I wanted to talk to you about. Why? It's literally about social distancing. But people watch it from their hotel. It's not like it's not like you gather in a single place to watch it, watch the water pageant. Well, this is more about the fact that the people who stand on the beach, and, you know, and especially now that the bungalows are in place at the Poly, there's only a couple of places where you can stand to, you know, if you're a guest who isn't staying in one of the bungalows, where you can stand and watch the, the water pageant. Did it really draw that that kind of crowd? I mean, this is more about its liability, Len. It, it's right. you know, remember okay. that you know that sign to the effect of "You are now entering Disney Springs," and, yeah, and yeah, you, yeah. you take responsibility for possibly being exposed to COVID nineteen. This is the same thing. If you press them on this, it's like, oh no, 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 it's not about COVID, not at all. You know, we are we are working on that walkway from the Grand Flow over oh, to the right. Magic Kingdom, and it's only temporarily suspended. You okay. know, it'll be back, but yeah, realistically, this is about preventing people from standing. You know, that wonderful waterfront bar at Fort Wilderness. Yeah. Okay. And there's one at the Poly too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, Geyser Point. Yeah, that's outdoors though. <laughs> yep. But I see it your is, point. Yeah, is. but you're right. They have a viewing area right in front of Geyser Point mm-hmm. for the uh, for the parade. Okay, valid point. Yeah. Next question was, which, if any, of the following have you already completed for your currently planned trip? Bought a, a regular Walt Disney World theme park ticket. Bought a special event Walt Disney World theme park ticket for things like Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. Pre-purchased a ticket or made a reservation for some other entertainment activity at the Walt Disney World Resort, like Drawn to Life presented by Cirque du Soleil. So speaking of Cirque du Soleil, I, I understand that we, we have a couple of uh, listener questions on how to go about getting a refund for Drawn to Life tickets if your show was was canceled. And I think the, the big concern that people have when they write in is apparently Cirque du Soleil uh, is not doing great financially. They're kind of classically overextended. They had so many companies going around the world, and there's a reason to be concerned. But on the other hand, Drawn to Life, this is Cirque du Soleil and Disney. And Disney's already put a lot of money into this. So, you know, come hell or high water, this show is happening. You know, even if if Cirque du Soleil, the company, crashes and burns. If Disney has to hire their own bendy French people. Sure. Yes, yes. Anyway, to get back to the specific question, I mean, first and foremost, again, when they talk about bought a regular Disney theme park ticket, face it, in a situation now where we're dealing with it, you know, you can't get into the parks unless you have an advanced digital reservation. A lot of people are just used to, I bought the ticket, I can walk up, I can, any day I can get into the parks. What this means is that someone at guest relations actually has to take that ticket 
and translate it into an advantage digital reservation for this person. So mm. that's an interaction. You know, and then what do I do with my Cirque du Soleil ticket for a performance that didn't happen or got canceled or whatever? Right. Uh, same thing, an interaction with guest relations. Likewise, we're in a situation right now where it's like, hey, is there actually going to be a Mickey's Not-So-Scary this year? So the thing that, frankly, Disney's trying to avoid here is a very long, slow-moving line yeah. at guest relations. Right, because where would you put them? Because it would. You, there's only so much <sighs> area at the entrance of the park to put guest relations lines, right? Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay, so it's a logistics thing. Okay, that makes more sense. Jim, it's, yeah. it's almost as if you've had some special inside information here on, on, on the reasons behind all of this. I, la, I commend, la, 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 I'm not la, saying la, you do. I'm just saying I commend you on your uh, deductive uh, reasoning here. I'm very skilled with a tarot deck, then. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Mm-hmm. Very prescient of you. All right. Uh, so a couple of things around the uh, new hotel experiences. Those are in the uh, the video that, uh, that Disney's released here around what to expect during yeah. your next Disney stay. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen this thing yet? I, I have, mean, actually. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty good, yeah. I'm fascinated by the catchphrase, the thing they're trying to to nail home, this whole, so you can stay in confidence. And enjoy the magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a little wordy to me, but yeah, stay with confidence is, all right, so uh, so full disclosure, I actually saw the visuals for the campaign ad before I saw the tagline, but now the tagline makes sense. The specifics, the particulars that uh, me personally, I didn't know, for example, the idea of you know, your remote control is going to be cleaned and then placed in a plastic bag and be waiting for you to open once you get into your hotel room. Fantastic. Yeah. So that's good. All right, uh, mm-hmm. Jim, let's do a couple of uh, listener questions here. This one from Dave uh, mm-hmm. from Tennessee. He says, as a premium annual pass holder, I'm in a state of flux. I've spent several hours waiting on hold, talking to Disney and talking to very uh, numerous, very nice and very confused cast members. The base question is uh, that Dave has is this, what are you going to do with annual pass holders? So Dave says, it's obvious that we uh, what we get now isn't what we paid for. We don't mm-hmm. even know if we can get into the park, if we can park hop. There are no parades or fireworks. Uh, or uh, And so so to Dave's point, you know, he says, it's not fair to start the clock ticking again on my annual pass on July 11th. So he asked Disney for a refund from March 16th until his annual pass date, which is December 2nd. And they said, maybe. Mm-hmm. So Dave's suggestion is this that all annual pass holders are on hold until they enter a park and then the clock starts ticking on their annual pass. What do you think of that idea, Jim? I have to admit, I, I like it. And Disney is trying very hard at this point to engender goodwill. Yeah. My point to Dave on this was basically, if you can get an actual person on the phone with the power mm-hmm. to do what you want, they will probably do it. The question is mm-hmm. getting that person on the phone. That's it, exactly. I mean, I, I guess this is one of those situations where persistence is going to pay off but also uh, to be frank you have to allow disney to sort of catch up so to speak yeah they've, they've got their own processes they got to go through and you got to let them do it yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah yeah the reason why i like this uh, question is it's it's sort of similar to what we're sort of going through at touring plans where you know we've got annual uh, subscriptions for people um as mm-hmm. well and you know we we extended the everyone's subscription as soon as the park closed for two months and we're still getting a lot of people who one officer were saying, you know, can you can you extend my subscription? And and, and we're doing that on a case by case basis. But the big question that that faces us, and, and Disney's facing the same thing too, is the longer that you extend the passes past the time at which the parks reopen, basically it doubles the or or or, or extends the amount of time that you don't have revenue, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say the parks are closed from you know mid 
May to mid July. So that, or sorry, mid March to mid July. So that's March, April, May, and June, four months, right? Mm-hmm. So if they extend the uh, passes another four months, that's eight months that they've gone without revenue. And as we were just pointing out, when you think about the revenue channels that Disney has counted on right. to make the company a, a cash producer, whether it's Bippity Boppity Boutique or those, you know, those nighttime cruises out on, you know, Seven Seas Lagoon and Bay Lake, they dig in their heels that much more. Yeah. When the notion of what? We have to give away more? No, 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 no. Yeah. So, so for, for, you know, for touring players, we're sort of looking at this and it's in the principle we're using is the principle of least harm, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if you obviously if you ask for a refund and, and you need it, we're, we're giving it mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. But doing it proactively is difficult for us for that same mm-hmm. reason, right? I mean, we're and, and it's different for us, right? Because it's a fifteen dollar or ten dollar subscription versus a thousand dollars for an annual pass, right? So vastly different scales. I don't know. I agree. Yep. I mean, here's the thing, and and, and I've, I've told Dave this. I think get a reasonable person on the phone; they will probably mm-hmm. accommodate you. Especially if you've uh, if you're an annual pass holder uh, for some, with some history, right? They're not yeah. gonna, mm-hmm. no one's gonna make you mad over over a few months on an annual pass. If you say, no, you know, uh, I'm coming back in 2024 and I want my annual pass to start again, may not be the most reasonable request you can make mm-hmm. there. But yeah, Disney's right now, you know, doing a lot of guest recovery, and you you just yeah. have to understand that you're one of thousands, <laughs> one of hundreds of thousands of people with the yeah, exact same so. question. Oh, the oh the questions we have. All right, on to a uh, oh, this is actually a correction for me from our friend Nicholas, and he writes, uh, and this is going to kill me. And I know you're going to be pained on this one too, Jim. Uh, Nicholas writes, Len, who in the world told you that Mandy Patinkin did the musical score to The Sting? It was done by Marvin Hamlish. It's long been one of my favorite films, and I've never heard Patinkin's name associated with the film. Uh, so let me pause there. Absolutely right. Uh, mm-hmm. Like everyone, Nicholas, I confuse Mandy Patinkin and Marvel, Marvin Hamlish all the time. In fact, when I am walking about New York and I see them on the street, it is super awkward for me to <laughs> say hi using the other person's name. <laughs> there, there, there may or may also, not be. Also, given the fact that, that one is dead. There may be a Zabar's uh, fish counter story in there. I'm just saying. Uh, what Nicholas says is, uh, what surprised me is that Mandy's never been nominated for an Academy Award, despite multiple Emmy and Tony nominations, and also let Jim know that he did get a Golden Globe nomination for Yentl, which, of course, I know is your favorite film. Okay, a uh, quick side note here. Uh, <laughs> Marvin Hamlish uh, collaborated with Howard Ashman on a musical for Broadway called Smile, which was where Howard Ashman met Jodie Benson, who became the voice of Ariel. Oh, Ariel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason I bring this up is because Don Hahn has put together a documentary about the life of Howard Ashman that is going to be debuting on Disney Plus later this summer. And I've just, I've heard I, it's extraordinary. So for you Marvin Hamlish fans out there, that's supposedly footage of, of Howard and, and Marvin working on the show together. Oh, fantastic. And that's, gonna, that's coming to Disney Plus. This summer. That, that's, a, that's as specific as I'm allowed to be. Okay. Later this summer. <laughs> so, all right. Fair enough. All right, Jim, one last listener question. Actually, it's a show topic from Kevin. Hmm. He says, are there any interesting stories of the Walt Disney Company when it became public, uh, a publicly traded company? So the transition from being held by uh, the Disney family to becoming publicly traded. Yes. And in fact, if you want to read something fascinating, Google now 1940 Walt Disney annual report. That was the very first time they filed an annual report. And 
it's it's a particularly dark time in the Disney company where World War II is about to happen and the markets have been closed off for Disney's films. So Pinocchio is just come out and is losing a buttload of money. And, you know, Fantasia's not looking all that good as well. And it's basically the company talking about, yeah, well, remember when we were going to do a film, you know, two films every year? That's not happening anymore. And that's the very first thing they have to tell shareholders. Hey, thanks for giving us our money. Remember that plan? We're not doing it. Let's do a show on this, though, because do you have the annual report, the 1940 annual report? I do, I do, and I'll slip you a copy because again, you you have a keener financial eye than I. Me, I'm just looking for the gossip. Let's uh, let's do it. Let's do a show on it. That'd be uh, that'd be fun. Okay. All right, folks. That uh, that does it for the listener questions. Don't forget, uh, every Friday night, uh, we do a virtual movie night at 8 p.m. Eastern, where the movie is related to a Disney or Universal theme park ride. You log on to the Touring Plans chat feature or onto Twitter. Use the hashtag Leonard Movie Night. We'll make goofy comments about the movies it plays. Be sure to follow Touring Plans on Twitter to vote for each week's film. Jim, last week's uh, film, Bedknob and Broomsticks. Oh, those poor people. (laughs) (laughs) All right. When we come back, folks, we're going to figure out how to retheme Splash Mountain. We'll be right back. Our friends over at CinemaBlend.com are reporting on a change.org petition to retheme the ride Splash Mountain. Here's the uh, introduction of the petition. It says, Disney parks should be a home for all to enjoy, regardless of race, age, or whatever your background may be. The classic log flume ride Splash Mountain is featured in Disneyland, Disney World, and it's Tokyo Disneyland. While the ride is considered a beloved classic, its history and storyline are steeped in extremely problematic and stereotypical racist tropes from the 1946 film Song of the South. And the petition goes on to call on Disney to retheme Splash Mountain to Princess and the Frog in Disneyland. So before we uh, we started this, uh, I want to get a couple of things out of the way. Uh, number one, uh, that last line in the intro paragraph is objectively true. It is considered a beloved classic. Its history and storyline are steeped in extremely problematic tropes, mm-hmm. and that's why Disney doesn't release the film in the United States. Okay, so so we accept these as facts, right? We all agree yeah, it's true. Enough. In fact, if we go all the way back to the initial development of the attraction, there's a reason you have Br'er Frog narrating the attraction. It's, it's Uncle Remus, right? He's the standard for Uncle Remus because they knew even back in 86, 85 when they were getting this bride ready to make. It's like, that's not going to work. That's not going to fly. Yeah, yeah. So a couple other things. One, when it comes to listening to things like this, Disney's already set a precedent with Pirates mm-hmm. of the Caribbean to address mm-hmm. these kinds of issues. So number one, the... The comment is true. Number two, Disney has addressed these kinds of things in the past. Mm-hmm. And then I would say uh, two things. One, in Disneyland at least, Splash Mountain is adjacent to New Orleans Square, and Princess and the Frog is set in New Orleans. So it is. It is. Uh, do you remember Tiana's Jubilee, the, the show they did on the, uh, on the riverboat, riverboat? On the Liberty Bell Riverboat. Again, New Orleans themed, right? Good location for that, yeah. Honestly, one of my favorite things that Disney has done in the parks in years, it was this wonderful 15 to 20 minute long show on the, that used the boat as a stage. And a wonderful show. And, and you're right, it fit the New Orleans Square area perfectly. But first of all, Splash Mountain, they thought they were being smart back in the 1980s because this was going to be a water ride. This was going to be a flume ride, and, you know, which meant, okay, it's going to get damp inside that show building. And they knew since 1967 they would have to go in r- repeatedly and make repairs because 
wood sets and water don't mix. They rot, they fall apart, they warp. And so they thought, oh, let's be clever for Splash Mountain. Let's sculpt everything out of concrete. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You have to borrow some dynamite from Big Thunder Mountain to redo this ride. Is that what you're saying, Jim? Splash Mountain actually missed its initial announced opening for December of, of, of 89. Because when they began testing the drop from Chickapin Hill, they found that it was literally off by just two or three degrees, but it was enough that the very first guy who, and again, this was a construction worker who wasn't supposed to be on the ride, but when he hit the bottom of the Chickaman Hill, it was so jarring, he broke his leg. Ooh, okay. All right. We'll talk about being a test subject. That's why they use the water dummies, Len. Yeah. Um, you know, anyway, when they come back and they have no water in them, okay, it hit a little hard. <laughs> they had to go in and basically jackhammer out the hill and, and gentle up the the drop by just two and three degrees but this armchair imaginary about oh well that's that's mama odie's boat and it's lots harder than anybody would ever imagine i mean not saying that they can't do it certainly we've seen disney take attractions and strip them down to bare steel and then bring them back as entirely different experiences sure but the walt disney company loves princess tiana If you're talking about this character from a parks, experiences, and products side, they love her. She's a consistent seller. Every year they can rely on, you know, sales of dolls and toys, Princess Tiana's likeness. On the other hand, Princess and the Frog, the movie, when it came out in 2009, underperformed. That is the legacy of the film within the company. Back in 2007, John Lasseter stood on stage at Disney's annual shareholders meeting and announced that, hey, we're getting back into the hand-drawn business. And not only that, we're going to have the very first African-American Disney princess. People conveniently forget that when he announced that, hey, the movie is going to be called The Frog Princess, and it's going to star Maddie, who is a maid in the house of Charlotte Buffo, you know, who is this spoiled debutante, you know, in New Orleans. And Disney thought that this Ron and John film was going to be embraced. And there was this tidal wave of negativity that came back. It's like, oh, my God, you're making a movie where the, you know, the first Disney princess is going to be a maid. And, you know, how many black performers in Hollywood had to play the subservient roles? You had to play the butlers, the maids. And they went after the character's name, Maddie, which for some critics was too close to Mammy. Also, it turns out that Maddie was a slave name. And there were even people who pushed back on the notion of why are you calling it the Frog Princess? You know, why should the first African-American Disney character to have a, a film built around it, you know, be associated with an ugly amphibian? And so they totally retooled the film. And, you know, on the other side of this, Maddie wasn't Maddie anymore. She was Tiana mm-hmm. and she, she wasn't a maid. She was this, you know, this ambitious uh, waitress who dreamed someday of owning her own restaurant. And when the film came, it had a new title where it's, it's the princess and, and the, frog. the frog, you know, it just, you know, putting as much distance between those two. So inside of Disney, this is, you know, it's like, yeah, that's the film that kind of helped kill the hand-drawn revival at Disney. You know, it didn't do the business, and then... I mean, to be fair, Jim, it, it came out the week before Avatar came out. I mean, so... You're not wrong. You're not yeah. wrong. I, you know, I mean, it's... It, and to, to put the cherry on the Sunday, 
when Winnie the Pooh came out in July of 2011. It came out on the exact same weekend as the final installment of the Harry Potter series, right. you know, Deathly Hallows Part 2. And it's like, that's a one-two punch that you can't recover from. And, yeah. and hand-drawn went away at Disney, you know, because of that. I think in Disneyland, though, I mean, I think that theming makes sense. They could, you know, granted, you've, you've got a... An, You've got to redo a whole a whole bunch about the the ride. And let me say, by the way, Splash Mountain is my all time Splash Mountain in Walt Disney World is my all time favorite ride in any theme park. It is my number one on my list. I love the mm-hmm. the ride. I love the soundtrack. And we'll lose all of that, right? We'll lose the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. We'll because it's yep. it, it won't fit. And and I'm okay with that, right? My my feelings in this particular you know case mm-hmm. don't don't matter, right? They don't count. So for me in Disneyland, yeah, you know Disney wants to retheme this thing to. Princess and the Frog, I am behind it. I liked the movie. I saw it. Um, it was one of our, our movie night movies uh, mm-hmm. about a month ago. And I, I thought the dialogue was fun. It's got great, great stuff. And it's got the character. I mean, it's got it's got the water theme characters, right? It's got the alligator. Yeah, you got all I mean, yeah, you've got you've yeah, got stuff. Dr. There. Facilier, and yeah, you know, I've totally got friends on the other. I mean, it's it's got amazing stuff in it. But again, you have to understand that Disney is a business. And it just sort of, you know, that's you know, in-house, that's sort of the film is underperformed. Now Hocus Pocus was also a film that underperformed. And now... But it's got a cult following now. (laughs) Yeah. And now you have the big show in front of the castle and that sort of thing. So it's not unheard of for a property that underperformed to to then get an attraction, to then get a show. All I'd ask is don't redo Splash Mountain. If you're going to do A Princess and the Frog Ride... Do it right. Give her her own red. Yeah, take it down to the ground if you're going to do it in Critter Country, and then bring it all the way back up as a brand new riding show that does right by Tiana. So what you're saying is, is you don't want to try and uh, that the film is good enough that it deserves its own ride, not to be sort of thrown on top of an existing ride. If you're going to take jackhammers to take out all of the concrete sets of Splash Mountain, just go all the way. Just take it down and and bring it back up. As a ride. Now, just before this show, I went over and looked at the petition. There were 9,700 9, people at that point that were signing this thing. And I'm not entirely sure that's a big enough number for Disney to take seriously. Well, it's it's only been around for a couple of days and it's starting to there get- There you go. Uh, there you go. It's starting to get media attention now. I, uh, I told you and I'll, I'll tell the listeners, I actually got an interview request on this, on this topic before the show began. So okay. uh, here's my- Here's my concern. So Disneyland, I'm, I'm actually fine with. I am I am not in favor of Princess and the Frog to retheme Splash Mountain in Walt Disney World. And the reason for that mm. is Princess and the Frog is set in New Orleans and Splash mm. Mountain in Walt Disney World and Magic Kingdom is set in Frontierland. And those are two different mm. themes. We, we should not try and shoehorn New Orleans Square in the middle of Pecos Bills and Big Thunder Mountain. Like we can't, that, that won't okay. fit. I have proposed, Jim, Apple Dumpling Gang. <laughs> <laughs> a Western theme, Jim, and then okay. the comedic gold of Don Knotts and Tim Conway. Okay, if you're going to involve Tim Conway, I'm on, on board. I've, on board. I've been the world's oldest man fan since that character first <laughs> appeared on on Carol Burnett. So yes, right. okay. So listeners, has to stay in Frontierland. What uh, mm-hmm. what attraction or what movie would you retheme Splash Mountain to? Let us know on Twitter or send us in some reader comments, and we'll read the best ones on the next show. All right, Jim, that was, uh, that was pretty fantastic. Thanks for doing that. Oh, did you want to talk about uh, Disneyland, Disneyland Paris real quick? To give you some idea of Splash Mountain as a ride, when it opened in July of 89 on, on Disneyland's birthday, the 17th, hugely popular. So that's, as Len mentioned, it gets 
a clone build for Walt Disney World, a clone build for Tokyo. And 10 years after the original opens at Disneyland, here's Euro Disneyland trying to figure out what it wants to do for in 1999. And it's this memo that got posted on Twitter that basically lists the ideas that are being considered. And among them is Splash Mountain, though, uh, Len, if you actually read the memo, one of the things that actually held up, you know, they had a, a spot picked out along the rivers of the far west. In fact, I think uh, the, the Chaparral was where they think were thinking of building it. But the pushback was, A, it's expensive, and B, is a flume ride going to be, you know, popular in November, December, January when, you know, the park is wet and cold all by itself? Also, frankly, the other issue was Song of the South really, to Disney's thinking, wasn't all that well known with right. the patrons of Euro Disneyland. So yeah. it's like, I mean, know, to be fair, can- no one, no one in the United States knows. This, I mean, as sort of Disney fans knows the film anyway. No, I would, I would venture to guess that the vast majority of people who ride Splash mm-hmm. Mountain in any Disney theme park are not have not seen Song of the South or understand yeah. the story. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. So France, too, even more so, right? Yeah, yeah. But they actually talked about the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror inverted ride. Where inverted it was be, ride? It was Geyser Mountain. Ooh. All right, well, let's save this for, we'll save this for another show, but go ahead. Give me the, give me the two-sentence summary. You know how you do the powered drop for Tower of Terror, or the, the powered up and down, but you know, supposedly you're falling down an elevator shaft. Right. Geyser Mountain was the inversion of this idea. The, the idea is you rode a vehicle into this mining complex and rolled over a section of track just as a geyser went off, and that's what then threw you high in the air. Ooh. So I've got some, some schematics, and I got some story points, and we should definitely talk about that on a future show. All right, let's do that. We'll uh, we'll take that as a as a show topic. Also, I note Jim in this uh, in this Disneyland Paris memo, one of the uh, the theming suggestions or two of the theming suggestions were to either Pocahontas or Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett yeah. fits in fits in 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 Disneyland Paris because the mm-hmm. center, I would say, the heart of that park is probably Frontierland thematically. No, so that works. Yeah, I, and then Pocahontas also interesting. I wonder uh, I wonder if Pocahontas is as well known to uh, European guests as Disney thinks it is like, I know it's a Disney film and everything and she's a Disney princess, but to the extent that uh, they were worried about the theme being not well known in Europe for a regular splash mountain would, was Pocahontas a big, well, remember this is proposing an attraction that's going in 99 and Pocahontas oh. had just been released to theaters in 96. So, okay. you All know, right. they were fairly confident that there would be some name recognition today, eh, you know, hard to say Pocahontas, the Pocahontas theme in Frontierland would fit. It would. It would. It would drive me crazy because I really don't like uh, Colors of the Wind for song. I really, <laughs> I really don't. I just, it's a little, it's a little too saccharine for me. You know, it's a little too, I don't know. Len, like, have you never heard the wolf cry at the blue corn moon? It's, Seriously? It's, oh. it's not, I, I, I don't like the soundtrack. I don't. The film was great. I mean, I understood the message. It was a little somber for me. It's a very earnest movie. In fact, I got to talk with Eric Goldberg about this. And the initial version of that film was that Pocahontas was going to be like an eight-year-old girl. And John Smith was going to be a cabin boy. And so the whole notion was that you had these young characters who taught the adults that they had to behave. And it was only after Beauty and the Beast almost won 
the best picture nomination or get you know, the, the best picture Oscar uh, back in 91, 92, that Jeffrey Katzenberg decided, no, I almost won an Academy Award. You know, the, the next film we make has got to be big. It's got to be important. And that's what happened to Pocahontas. They took a perfectly enter- entertaining idea and made it earnest and somber and a, a little boring. So, What film won the 1992 best picture? Oh, Silence of the Lambs. Well, there you go. So, of course, you know, it's like, have some papa beans, Len. All right. So let me see. The, so the nominees in 92 for Best Picture, JFK, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, The Prince of Tides, Silence of the Lambs, Bugsy with Warren Beatty, mm-hmm. and Beauty and the Beast. I got to say, Jim, the Academy got it wrong. Beauty and the Beast yeah. was the best film of those nominees. Yeah. It was. It was. And But that was the, the thing that kind of shocked folks because it was like, Silence of the Lamb had come out in March of, mm-hmm. of the, the previous year, and Beauty and the Beast came out in November. And it, nobody thought that you know something that that had released that early would still do as well as that film did at the Oscars. But it's hard not to forget what Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster did in that movie. All right, so I could I could get behind a, a Pocahontas theme, I think, for a Splash Mountain in in, in Disney World. But uh, again, uh, listeners, let's uh, let's hear your ideas. For this, uh, I, I see Treasure Island happening somewhere. <laughs> you, just, you just know it. <laughs> Treasure Planet. Sorry, Treasure Planet. There we go. Oh, Lord. All right. All right, folks. That's going to do it for the, uh, for the show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. We'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's regular show, we're going to finish up the story of rogue weddings in Disney parks and the construction of the wedding pavilion. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's working on a half-scale replica sand sculpture of the village of Frogmorton for the 40th annual Sandcastle Contest on Saturday, September 4th, 2021, just off the boardwalk on the beach in front of Funland between Delaware and Laurel Avenues in beautiful downtown Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and write our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.